Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Michael Hayward. Michael is a customer experience and marketing professional who is known for crafting exceptional customer experiences. Michael brings stakeholders together and develops a shared view of the customer's journey to help them understand how they can contribute and make an impact. Now Michael is embarking on an entrepreneurial path, seeking to help people access mental health supports more easily and with better outcomes. Let's join Michael now as he has a thoughtful discussion with Derek Manns. Take it away, Michael. Hi, welcome to the Rainforest Podcast. My name is Michael Hayward. I'm the host for this week's episode, and I'm glad to be joined today by Derek Manns from Stagehand. Now, Derek and I go back a few years. We worked together on a great project when I was at the Calgary Airport Authority. And I thought it would be a great moment for us to share a little bit of the experience and for Derek to talk a little bit about his journey as an entrepreneur and um, the work that he's done in the tech community. So to start, I, I spent a couple of years working at the Calgary Airport Authority where I was the head of marketing and guest experience. And within the group uh, that I was responsible for, I had uh, the pleasure of leading the White Hat volunteers, a, a force of more than 500 volunteers who work at worked at the airport, um, and also our uh, ambassadors, who are the folks who did everything from man the info desks to drive the shuttles back and forth through the airport. Now, that world has changed a lot, obviously, since COVID. But before the pandemic started, one of the things that we always challenged ourselves at the airport to do was to really change a pers- every, every person's, every guest's perception of what the environment could or should be like. So we start with the basic insight that Travel is stressful. People go to to the airport and they get they get challenged and become anxious about the security that happens there, um, having to go through customs if you're traveling to the United States, the fact of flying. A lot of folks get nervous about the idea of flying. And so it's a very stressful environment. And we also understood that uh, besides the fact that we wanted to keep people calm as they went through the entire airport so that they would have a better experience, we also knew a little fact, which was that the happier a person was when they were in the airport, the more they were likely to spend. And since that's how the airport actually earns its money, you know, airplanes landing is a part of what goes on and, and air, airlines pay for that. But a lot of what airport authorities earn is actually based on what you spend in the duty-free or what you spend to get a coffee or buy a magazine before you travel or get souvenirs. So we were always looking for a way for us to improve that experience. We would do things like when there were long lineups and it was around the holidays, we would put Christmas trees into the lineup before security. It turns out that if you make people walk by a Christmas tree, even if they're not into Christmas, they actually got happier. People took pictures and everything worked out better for them. Similarly, we know that music is a really important aspect of, of, um, you know, an enjoyable experience for a lot of folks. And so we said, okay, look, what can we do to bring music 
into the environment. And so that's what we're going to talk about today was actually um, how Stagehand facilitated turning what I self-proclaimed, you know, turning the airport into the largest live music venue in the country. And we did it almost overnight and we did it at an, a ridiculously low cost. Um, and and it, was, uh, it was exceptionally easy. And that's because of the technology that came and the, and the processes that came from Stagehand. So at this point, I'm going to introduce Derek. Derek Manns is the founder and CEO of Stagehand.app. Highly recommend that if you are involved in any sort of public event that you check it out to, uh, to take a look at what uh, the organization and what, the, what this system and tool can do. So, Derek, welcome to the to the podcast. I'm going to give you a second. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your own journey. What caused you to want to start Stagehand? You know what you did that prepared you for that, and uh, and how you got to the point you are today um, in terms of building a business. Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, first of all, Michael. So yeah, my name is Derek Manns, and I'm the founder of Stagehand. And this has actually been a project that's been going on for several years now. It's kind of a, a bit of a second career, I suppose, for me. I spent the majority of my career in, in downtown Calgary. Um, I, the last company that I worked for was a company called Mainline Information Systems, and we were an IT reseller. We focused on storage, backup and recovery, uh, that sort of thing. So IT infrastructure. Um, but ironically, where Stagehand came from is it came out of my personal life. Uh, you know, my wife and I are both engineers. And ironically, we have three daughters who are all talented dancers. My uh, my oldest is currently trying to make a living as a dancer in New York City, which I'm sure you can imagine is a challenge in um, uh, during a pandemic. My youngest is just uh, about to head off to Toronto to begin her uh, her BFA in dance. So it was through seeing my daughters and not just their skill, but the opportunity that they had to work with the local arts community and uh, and how much talent was out there. Um, I mean, they had opportunities to dance with people that have choreographed, uh, you know, with Madonna, who have uh, danced in La La Land or choreographed for La La Land, the, the movie of a few years ago. So it was just, that sort of opened my eyes to how much talent is there. And so we started to iterate on that. And uh, I was on the leadership team at Mainland. We were acquired. I ended up leaving about a year after that. And this idea had been rolling around in my head for years and sort of decided, well, uh, probably no time like the present. And so uh, we started to uh, started to iterate. And uh, uh, and that's really where Stagehand started. And it, and it started out more as the concept of uh, working with smaller venues, kind of almost this idea of Airbnb for the arts, where you've got coffee shops and microbreweries and small venues that are valuable little places where the ownership may want to activate that and draw more customers into the venues. But uh, they they themselves are not part of the arts community. They're not music bookers, and so uh, that really is where it started. And then uh, things sort of evolved when we started to work with uh, with you at the Calgary Airport. I like thinking of the airport as a small venue. It's not really a small venue, of course. It's very very large, right? Um, and actually, uh, we had a conversation a few weeks ago that reminded me of something that I actually had totally forgotten, which. Uh, Derek was when you said to me that uh, the first point of contact that you made at the airport was you reached out to me. Now, in truth, I completely forgot that you had reached out to me at any point along the way uh, at the beginning of this. And and um, I think what's 
you know, what that says to me, this is actually a typical kind of a scenario. So I'm on the executive team at the airport and not on purpose, but what happens is when, when you have a, a title like that, a lot of people reach out to you. A lot of folks are trying to sell you stuff and that's normal. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I would always tell myself and, and, you know, I kind of remind myself when I'm in the other side of this conversation is that folks who are in that role are generally trying to solve problems. I, you know, we all on the executive team would think of ourselves as problem solvers. And generally the things that we pay attention to first and most are messages that come to us that seem to address one of the problems we are wrestling with at the moment. So I guess it turned out that when you first contacted me, you weren't solving a problem that I thought that I had. But but that's that's not a I mean, obviously, that's not the end of a, of a story. Um, you know, what, what I would do and what a lot of folks in, in that role, that kind of role would do was I pass the inquiry over to somebody in my team. Right. So the folks who were responsible for, uh, you know, the part that I described, right, the volunteers and the and the ambassadors and, and you know, setting up the um, the inter- interior of the airport uh, for guest experience. You know, I, I send it over to them. Well, it turned out they'd been thinking about doing something like this for quite a long time. And so, um, you know, by working with the team, first of all, when the when the VP sends the message to the manager, the manager tends to listen. Right. So they'll take your they'll take your call. And I think that's probably what happened here. The the other is that, you know, by working with that team, you, you, you're able to, um, you know, get to the folks who are actu- actually at the front line of delivering or implementing, right? And they really understand the ins and outs. So as a, you know, I'm not, I'm not an airport professional. I, I didn't do airport all of my career. I did other things that led me to work at an airport. So there are lots of things about how an airport works that I would never be the right person to, uh, to try to address. But that team was, right? The guest experience team was, was exactly well positioned for this. So they came back to me and they said, here's what we want to do in terms of supporting this, this idea of putting music in, into the airport and specifically putting it into the terminal, both pre and post security, which brings its own set of complications. What I really, you know, wanted to know was how complicated is this thing going to be, right? How, how complicated is the technology? Are we going to have to hire more people to do this? Are we going to have to have complicated training for it? And one of the things, Derek, that really resonated for me was when I found out that this was actually a great labor saving device. And, you know, having been in and around digital marketing for a long time, you know, once I started to understand the technology here, I'm like, this is great. This isn't technology for the sake of technology. This is technology for the sake of getting something done, which I think is the right way to use it. Um, So, uh, You know, I love the idea that it's not a super complex kind of a system, but maybe you can describe a little bit about the tools and technology that go into this thing and the process that's happening inside your app to, you know, make it possible for a team like mine who were not in the music booking business or the concert management business or the event promotion business, really make it possible for a team like that to actually create and execute a program on a timeline of like just a few weeks or just a few months. And, you know, I think what's important, particularly in early stage startups is that, 
you know, the, the technology was far from done when we started. It was, it was done enough. And, uh, and, and we sometimes faked it a little bit behind the scenes, which your, your team may not have even seen. Um, but it was very important when we first started to work with you that we realized, okay, what, where are the points of friction and how can we use technology as an enabler to remove that, uh, that impediment? And uh, so it, it, it really was and continues to be a work in progress. But the, the, the technology itself, really, you can think of it as a platform. So it is a little bit like a, an Airbnb type platform where you've got, you know, instead of having hosts and guests, you've got uh, venues and you've got musicians. And uh, the way it worked at the airport was we did an initial call for artists. So we had started to build a network. So an industry network of talented artists that are out there. So that was sort of the first component that was valuable to the, to the airport. So we put a call out to, to the, the network and said, hey, the airport is looking at starting a, a live music program. If you're interested, here's how you apply. And, uh, and so we started to get a number of uh, artists applying to be part of the program. Uh, then what your team did was they actually invited the artists down to the terminal because this is not necessarily for everyone. You know, uh, performing in an airport is not necessarily for everyone. And in fact, many of the musicians that I talked to who are very accomplished uh, told us that they almost talked themselves out of it before they even got to the audition. And, uh, and, and a number of those folks subsequently went on to play hundreds of performances uh, at the airport. So uh, your team did an initial audition. They chose a number of artists that uh, thought would be particularly well suited to the airport. And then those artists got some, some privilege within the application. It essentially gave them access to a calendar that your team had defined uh, that said, look, we're looking to have performances. Initially, it was just two performances a day. Uh, and, uh, you know, so maybe it's at noon and two o'clock, you know, whatever the busy times were at the airport. And essentially what would happen is the, the artists would self book themselves into those spots. So that, that just removed a ton of, uh, back and forth where your team might go, uh, Hey, well, how about this time? No, I can't do that time. How about this time? You know, we eliminate all of that email. We just post, here's what's available. Artists and apply your team approves the, uh, the, uh, the spots and essentially it's, it's scheduled. Uh, your team also did some key things with respect to, uh, things like, uh, security. They, the artists actually had to go through what's called the rake process to, to get behind security without being escorted. Uh, and that allowed the artists to check themselves through security, go to the performance area, play their gigs without a whole bunch of intervention. Uh, we integrated things like, uh, honorariums so that that would be paid to the artists automatically because, uh, again, the airport staff tends to be very busy, and this evolved to the point where we were sometimes doing six, seven, eight performances a day. So lots of times the, the uh, year staff wouldn't even know that Christina or Josh or Justine had played that particular day, other than the they had confirmed their gig in stagehand. Your, uh, your folks would get a notification, Josh has finished his gig, she can click a, a button and Josh gets paid. Uh, other things that were important about it is we collected all of that data in the system so that, uh, you know, somebody might go, oh, somebody really loved the performer at uh, four o'clock and sent me a, a tweet and, and was asking who was performing. Well, we can go back into the system and see that it was uh, Justine Vandergrift or uh, Ollie Owens. So uh, all of that really kind of describes the, the platform that, uh, that we use. And it was interesting the way it evolved because by 
the time we eventually had to wind it down for COVID, uh, it was incredibly popular with the musicians to the point where uh, Peggy, who ran the program, uh, would warn the musicians that she was posting next month's schedule at Thursday of that week. And uh, the musicians would literally be waiting online uh, the moment that she pu- pu- uh, published the schedule. It was like booking camp spots. They were just grabbing all their, their favorite spots. And she would literally book 100 plus uh, performances in the first couple of minutes. It's pretty amazing how effective and how efficient that that became. Um, you know, I don't know if any of the folks who will be listening would have encountered any of the, the musicians at the airport, but you might have even seen them on TV. I know we had uh, we had one impromptu session happened uh, post-security where uh, you're going to have to remind me the name of the, of the fellow. It was, uh, it was Afro man. He was in town to, he was in town to play with Snoop Dogg at the, at the Saddle Dome. Right. So, so he was on his way out, I think leaving, leaving the city and he wound up doing an impromptu set with the musician that was playing in the, in the concourse that made the news that that was kind of fun. And then during stampede, we actually managed even though it, it had, it took a bit of doing and, and the team was a little bit nervous about it. We managed to get musicians on top of the baggage carousel. So when people were waiting to get their bags during stampede a couple of years ago, uh, they were, they were entertained and, and my goodness, the dancing and entertainment value of that whole thing was, uh, well, you, you, you can't diminish, right. The, um, you know, just, just how, how great the experience was at times. Um, and I'm glad that the experience was great for the musicians as well. Now, as a client, I have occasionally been told that I can be, um, an interesting challenge to work with. Um, I always think I'm a pretty good client. Um, and I think in this case, um, you know, you use the word evolve a few times, probably the, the platform evolved a bit to meet the needs of a, a venue like the airport, um, where you can have multiple locations and multiple events happening during the course of a day. And, you know, there, there is an ebb and a flow to, to the business there. So you want people in a certain part of the airport at one time and a different part at another, you know, just thinking of, of, um, you know, the reality that entrepreneurs often have to face, which is as you're rolling out, you've got a vision, you've got yourself committed to a way that you want to build something. And then you run into a client who says, but we do it like this and I want you to change it to accommodate what we need. How do you, how do you balance out that tension between, you know, things that you do because it makes your platform better versus things that you kind of have to say no to because you're like, well, maybe they, maybe they want that, but that's not actually the best thing for us. Yeah. You know, it's, that's a tough one, particularly for early stage companies, because you, uh, you definitely want to be listening to your customers. And, you know, I think that's one of the, the key tenants of, of any early stage platform is you want to get it in front of customers, real customers, uh, as quickly as possible, because they will really direct you towards what's valuable. Um, but there's there is a limit to that because uh, you know the concept of a minimum viable product is also incredibly important. Uh, you don't want to to wait for that next big feature. You don't want to try and do it all too soon. Uh, and uh, so you know you, you really kind of need to work through that with uh, with the clients. Um, you know, talk through, you know, and often ask the question, why is it? You know, I had this happen to me just yesterday, in fact. Uh, a, a customer was very interested in this one particular thing, and it was, wasn't quite working the way that he was wanting to work. And I, and I finally, you know, and I was trying to respond to that, and I finally said to him, can you explain to me, like, what are you trying to do? Like, what, what are you? And, and, and then the light went on. It's like, oh, okay, well, 
well, why don't we do it this way? And it's like, oh, that's a perfect solution. So, you know, I, so often these things just come down to effective communication, asking the right questions, not being afraid to, to push back a little bit, ask the question why. Uh, and because uh, sometimes the answer is the customer is coming from a different paradigm. And once you really understand that, you can help to, to shift their paradigm a little bit to, to say, well, here's maybe a better solution for what you're trying to do. So, uh, so I think that's, that's always important. But, but again, I, I don't want to downplay the fact that, you know, what you think you want, we want to listen closely to that because I can't pretend to be a VP of customer experience and marketing at the airport. I've never done that. And uh, uh, so what you think you need is uh, is valuable. I, I, I do want to hear that, even though I may not always be able to give you exactly what you think you want, but hopefully I can give you what you need. Yeah. And I, I think that worked out well in, in our case, for sure. The, you know, what I'm always reminded of at, at a moment like that is, is the sense that the more you understand about the outcomes that your client or your partner is trying to accomplish, the more likely you are to be able to co-design something with them or configure something or help them understand that, you know, there's another way to do it. And maybe your tool or your technology is able to, and maybe sometimes it's not the right way of, of going at it. But, you know, a lot of folks will get in to, you know, the, how do we get stuff done? And I want it to go, you know, A to B to C. And if you don't have the context for what you're trying to accomplish at the end of it, you're never sure if you're really delivering, you know, the best possible outcome. Now, Best possible outcome also gets to the idea of, you know, creating value. And I think this is one of those those big moments. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of exploring entrepreneurship in a new way for myself. And, you know, I'm definitely really focused on the idea of who derives benefit from the thing that I create and how do I convince them to pay money for it? Because we we start off with the idea of, you know, what we want to create, what we want to accomplish, but then we sometimes have a hard time kind of getting from the inception mode and the early creation stuff over to the part where somebody is like, yeah, I'll pay the bill for that. So, uh, you know, what, what was your learning and what advice would you have for people who are kind of struggling with, uh, you know, the idea of, well, this is what I want to build, but I don't really know how to monetize that effectively. I think I've said to you before that I, I'm, I wouldn't claim to be an expert at this and particularly in the arts, the arts can be a very challenging uh, thing to monetize. I mean, it's, it's been difficult to be an artist, to earn a living as an artist for years. Uh, and I've been fortunate because of the stage of my career I was at that I, I was able to be somewhat persistent at it. And, and I can tell you the whole paying customer thing, I knew that was going to be a problem from day one. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why we, we did the, I wouldn't call it a pivot, a pivot's too strong, but, you know, we, we adjusted course to focus more on what I would call corporate venues, places like an airport, um, municipalities, uh, placemakers, business improvement districts, commercial real estate, because uh, these are all places that have corporate budgets. You know, the, the challenge that you have with small venues, as much as I there's some of the best people that you'll find anywhere. You know, the, the people that own and run the coffee shops, the microbreweries, the, uh, the, the clubs, uh, they're just, they're wonderful people, but they tend to be spending their own money. Uh, so when you're looking for them to buy something new, uh, spend money on something new, uh, they're often spending it like it's their own money because effectively it is their own money. So, 
I, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I started my career in, in corporate Calgary and, and, and that, that also had been sort of looming in the back of my head is how do we get corporate budget for this? What's the value proposition of the arts of customer experience to companies? And, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, how happy customers tend to be, uh, you know, tend to be spending customers, how um, there, there's also some research around how, happy customers and people that are sort of brought to a, a higher state through, um, you know, an emotional experience like listening to a song tend to be more susceptible to being influenced to create a connection with a brand, uh, those sorts of things. So there's a whole science around this idea of, of customer experience. Um, but there's also a science around uh, the, you know, the idea of placemaking. And, and, uh, and again, I, I, kudos to the Calgary airport because you folks, I mean, you've got a beautiful facility, uh, and uh, so it was great that you were spending the time to focus on programming and not just adding additional capital expenditure. Uh, I know there was lots of money that went into the capital expenditure, but uh, the fact that you spent the time and effort on the uh, on the programming was was great as well. So that I think is is what a lot of placemakers could take a page from your book uh, in, in that regard uh, because, you know, some of the most experienced placemakers will tell you that it is all about the programming. So that's, you know, I guess where I'm going with that is placemakers tend to be municipalities. You look at uh, what's happening in the city of Calgary right now. A lot of people, they're spending a lot of money to make the downtown core, a, a, you know, a better place where people want to live, work and play. And, uh, and that's really the definition of placemaking and uh, municipalities Again, corporate budgets, uh, those are the, you know, those are the types of budgets that we want to go after. So I want to start there, you know, looking for that corporate budget. I still want to serve the small, uh, you know, the smaller venues, because I think that really kind of fills it out. But it's more of a land and expand type approach where you find that corporate budget, uh, you find a, uh, you know, a beachhead customer that allows you to be in a city and then you grow out from there into some of the other places that maybe aren't quite as economic, but are, but are also important to the, to the community at large. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, finding an anchor client or an anchor tenant, you know, and if you think of it in real estate terms is, is always an essential thing, right? Because once you get that core client in place, it gives you the flexibility and the durability in your business to be able to expand to those smaller players who, you know, had you started with them, you might not be able to make a go of the whole thing, at least not quickly enough to make it viable. Derek, I think this is this has been great. I really appreciate you sharing some of your story around, um, uh, you know, bringing Stagehand to market. And, um, you know, we, we've had a, a great partnership uh, and, and, you know, did, did some great stuff at, at the airport. So, so I, you know, thank you for that. Maybe just before we go, if, if, if you think about the, you know, the audience of young entrepreneurial types who are, you know, casting around trying to find that first business idea or, you know, working on an idea that, uh, they'd like to bring to fruition, but they're not quite sure yet about it, or maybe they are sure and they're working on their plan. If there was like one piece of advice that you would give somebody when they're starting out, now that you've had a few years of this and you you look back at how you started, would you what piece of advice would you give people as they embark? I would say 
talk to as many people as you can. In particular, talk to as many of what you believe to be your customers as as you possibly can. You know, I see so many folks, and particularly, I I don't want to stereotype, but sometimes um, uh, if you're a technical founder uh, and you're a little more introverted, it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing to be out you know, cold calling the VP at the airport or uh, the executive director at the downtown uh, organization or, or somebody at the city. Those things don't necessarily come naturally, but they pay off in spades. And uh, you'll find that if you don't do that, you may end up building something that really isn't that you thought it was relevant, but, you know, the customer doesn't. So I, I think that's the best piece of advice is talk to as many customers as you possibly can. I think I think that's good advice. And and having been a customer, I would, uh, you know, sort of add to that as you're talking to customers, don't just tell them what you're thinking of. Ask them what they're doing. Ask them what's on their mind, what challenges they have day to day or year to year that they're always trying to address. Because the more you understand about the nature of the businesses that you're trying to sell to, the better off your message is going to be, right? And you'll figure out how to match up what it is that you your vision says I want to create with what they've got as um, you know challenge or problem or opportunity that you can then fit into. Thanks, Derek. Really appreciate it. Um, folks, if you haven't already done it, check out stagehand.app. Um, go ahead and, and uh, use the service as much as you can. <laughs> Which would be which would be a great thing. Um, And uh, so, Derek Nance, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. I'm Michael Hayward. This is the Rainforest podcast. And thanks for listening. We'll see you again. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.